I think I'm having an art attack. What's up, everybody, and welcome to another art podcast episode of Art Attack <laughs> with your host, Lizzie Dastin, art historian. Art historian? What's that? Historian. Ooh, it's historian. like an accordion, a you're musical like a art historian. No, you're a distorted <laughs> art historian. So art historian, distorted and otherwise Lizzie Dastin and myself, artist Justin Bua, how are you? I am doing okay. A little brain foggy, so we should really talk about abstract art today. Nope. I have food poisoning. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> but otherwise, good. Excited to get into this topic about some artists that mean a lot to you. I'm really eager to They don't hear mean anything more- to you? Of course they do. I mean, they mean something to me, but I don't know as much. So I'm excited to learn from you and to discuss the iconic work that I do know a little bit about, Christina's World. Yes. Okay. So what we're talking about today or who we're talking about today is the Wyeth family collectively. Uh, two of the three of the Wyeths, in my opinion, are very important art icons, legends. Like there's... People in, you know, there's artists in the world that are, that I consider like, you know, little, little ripples in the pond and some are more waves and others are tsunamis. But two of these Wyeths that I'm referring to, Andrew Wyeth and N.C. Wyeth are, are very strong waves. They're very, very wonderful artists and have an incredible history uh, to them and to their work. And I, I think we should really start with uh, N.C. Wyeth, who's the father, the grandfather, the patriarch. N.C. Wyeth, I was introduced to his work early on because he's an illustrator, you know, and much like the people in the early 1900s had to make their careers as illustrators before there was an explosion of fine artists. You couldn't just sell your work. So he was illustrating books like, you know, Treasure Island, Robinson Crusoe, uh, some of these classic tales. And Wyeth started uh, out just as a lover of art, and he would just draw all the time. He was very naturally good at drawing. You look at his early work, and it's kind of shocking. He had a he had a very prodigal early talent and ability to draw. And he wound up going to the Brandywine School and stuttering, studying, not stuttering, but studying with the great painter Howard Pyle, who ran an academy. Uh, a very small academy where he had only select artists that were genius. And, you know, artists like Maxfield Parrish studied with Pyle. You know, N.C. Wyeth wasn't the only genius that came out of that, but we're going to focus on N.C. And Howard Pyle was a something special. He was a special kind of painter. He painted, his, his, obviously he did illustrations as well, but he also painted a lot of historical scenes. He wasn't necessarily... Uh, a historical reconstructivist, but he was a really, really freaking good painter. And Wyeth soon became not only a great painter, but I believe he surpassed his teacher. The student surpassed his teacher. So I'd like to focus on NC for a couple of minutes. So do you, you were familiar with NC's work? I am. And what I'm most familiar with is the sentiment that he had that to be an illustrator is a totally different experience than to be a painter. And I just wonder that that disconnect or that schism between illustration and painting Mm -hmm. is something that you and I have talked about peripherally on the show because you all, we talk about illustrators, but 
as a painter, what is the difference between illustration and painting and why isn't there really an intersection, at least in Wyatt's mind? I don't really think there is a difference because technically an illustrator is someone who is defined by getting paid for your job. Now, the truth of the matter is, is Michelangelo an illustrator? We don't consider him an illustrator. He got paid by Pope Julius II to paint the Sistine Chapel. By definition, that defines him as an illustrator. But we know that's a wonderful piece of art. That's a magnificent painting that is priceless. Or Botticelli with the Medici family. Is he an illustrator because he was commissioned to do the birth of Venus? And that's really what it seemed to me was the root of Wyatt's argument, is that anything that's predicated on commerce or exchange is illustration. Right. And that just seems like a very outdated perspective on painting and on illustration, actually. Yeah, I think it is you're being pigeonheld to be called an illustrator. And obviously, in the fine art world, you frown upon illustration. It's always been something that illustrators have had to deal with. So if you start out your career as an illustrator, which means you're doing editorial illustration or advertising illustration, you're getting into the fine art world is a little bit of a struggle. There is a blood-brain barrier there that you have to cross. And as a fine artist, we see that a lot of fine artists these days are doing illustrations. You know, by virtue of the fact that they're just getting paid to do merchandise and using their work in marketing campaigns and ad campaigns. I feel like right now the lines are more blurred than ever. But back in the days when N.C. Wyeth was painting and Howard Pyle was painting and Norman Rockwell was painting and Maxfield Parrish was painting, an illustrator was cool. It was cool to be an illustrator. People loved it. And you can make an incredible career out of it. Definitely. And even earlier than that, at the turn of the century, with all of those Ashcan artists like Sloan and Bellows illustrating for the masses, not only is that technically an illustration, but it has this political activist bent. And so it isn't just about aesthetics. It's about your values. So I don't think that illustration should be denigrated. And that's why that comment is always really struck me because it just seems like such an unnecessary division of of labor just between what it is to be an illustrator and what it is to be a painter. So if you look at all of the Renaissance artists back in the days, and they were illustrating biblical themes, you know, whether it was Rembrandt or Goya, you know, you, you look at it and there's illustrations of all these different stories, fables, tales, mythologies, whether it's Greek mythologies, Roman mythologies, Chinese, it doesn't matter. The point is that all these artists technically are illustrating other people's stories. They're illuminating it. They're making words come to visual life. And that's exactly what Wyatt did so beautifully. He was able to give a face and an environment to these words. You know, and that that as a kid, that really resonated with me because he's he was painting in a classical way. You know, Wyeth was an oil painter, unlike his son, Andrew. Uh, and he was such a beautiful oil painter that he would sometimes do these very complex illustrations, whether it was Robinson Crusoe or, or Treasure Island, and he would do them in 24 hours, 8 hours, 48 hours. These are giant paintings. Remember, Wyeth is working on an easel. He's painting four feet paintings, four foot paintings. And he's, he has a palette in his hand, turpentine and or linseed oil and 
uh, brushes in this giant studio and he's illustrating with oil paint, right? So the experience itself, the act, the physical act is a fine art act, right? Yeah, definitely. And I think it's really interesting that you connect with him because of his ability to storytell. And that is really my connection to all art is what is the story? How is this resonating with me? And so then isn't everybody really an illustrator? I just, I guess I don't really understand what distinguishes one from the other. And I'm always fascinated by the fact that so much space is really seen as existing between the two. And maybe what you say about illustrating somebody else's text, that that is the baseline. And that if if somebody writes something, whether it be biblical, mythological, or something that's a little bit more contemporary, if you yourself are not the author of that, and yet illustrate somebody else's theme, then maybe maybe that separates you from fine art. I think that the ivory tower, snooty artist who thinks they create in a bubble, who thinks that no one can come up with anything that they can come up with, and it's completely untainted, and they're only doing their own ideas is really what they're coming up with, coming up with the idea that illustrators are illustrators yeah. and fine artists are fine <laughs> artists. And we know it's bullshit. Mm-hmm. We know that's totally a lie because you have to be experiencing something. You have to be influenced by something. You have to be influenced by someone. All that goes out the window when you look at their shitty painting anyway, right? You're just like, <laughs> oh, cool. You created this in a bubble and it looks like a piece of garbage. So it belongs in a in the garbage bin, not in the museum. <laughs> or no, maybe but I think, not but that th- extreme, but let's say you tell a story that is unique to you and only appropriate to you, then perhaps nobody else is going to be able to connect to it. Right. You're still illustrating your story. Right. That's true. Right. So at the end of the day, uh, the word illustrator, illustrating has had a bad rap. But back in the days, let's ju- let's journey back in the days of the Brandywine School. Can you imagine the talent pool there? They were painting from life. They were drawing from life. And the better you got, the closer you got to Howard Pyle's studio. So in other words, you had a shitty room. And they do this in, in, in judo and wrestling oftentimes in, in places like Cuba, where you have the worst room and the worst food if you're lower on the totem pole. But the better you get, <laughs> the more food you get. The better you get, the bigger room you get. And that was the same with the way that Howard Pyle ran a school. The better you get, the closer you, the, the more studio you get, the more paint you get, the closer you get to Howard Pyle. And in the end of the day, where does Wyatt wind up? But right next door, because he's that good. They had a very similar life. They loved painting. They were very good. They were very prodigal as kids. Their mothers both love what they did. Very rare to get a mother who, who supports you. My mother supported me in my artistic career, but very rare. Oftentimes, what are you doing? You should be a doctor, you idiot. You know? <laughs> Right? You should be a lawyer. The, the, the drawing stuff is ridiculous. You're a moron. What do you, you know, lose your freaking shirt with this career? You goddamn it. But they, their mothers both supported them. It was very rare. And so Wyeth is this champion. Starts getting work. What does he get? He gets Howard Pyle's work. Starts doing Howard's work. Starts doing his own stuff and ventures off. Ultimately, they had a fight, many fights. They went their own ways, dissenting philosophies on. on on many subjects and he went off and did his own thing and became very 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 successful 
So I implore everybody out there to look up the work of N.C. Wyeth to see what I'm talking about. A wonderful painter, just a wonderful painter. Then he gives birth to who? Andrew. I mean, Andrew, I mean, not from the loins of his anus, but he gave birth to him through his, with his wife. But you know what I mean? It sounded like he gave, he gave birth to him. But he has a son, Andrew Wyeth. Andrew Wyeth, it's got, he's got it in his blood, his DNA. Andrew is drawing and painting all the time as a kid. In fact, he gets so good as a teenager that he's helping his dad finish his commissions in his studio. Hey, what a great apprentice, right? Hey, son, you're incredible. Finish this. Yeah, the House of Wyeth, but literally. Yeah, literally, right? (laughs) So what does he wind up doing? He winds up really painting and drawing the world around him, the barns, the snow, the grass, and he's such an amazing painter. He doesn't use oils like his dad. He uses tempera. So he becomes obsessed with egg tempera. And tempera, just because you already mentioned the Renaissance, tempera is a technique that was really popularized back then in the 1400s. So it's you can describe the process better, but it's using egg whites to bind with the pigment. And tempera, it dries very, very quickly. So you have to be really precise in your strokes. I cannot describe the process better than you because I haven't used tempera since I was a kid. And... I don't really understand tempera. All I know is when I look at a Wyeth, sometimes <gasps> it's like one of the, <gasps> like I feel like my breath is short because I can't believe how he's able to capture light. There's very few artists, and I feel like the medium helps a lot, like watercolor, because it's transparent and the way you lay it down, and you leave the white of the paper white for the light, and there's nothing lighter than that. And while I work in acrylic and sometimes in oils. So that kind of light that you can have is really freaking beautiful. And I feel like that's the same with tempera. So when you see a Wyeth painting, the way that you have light scattered in the room, his figures are good. He's not like his dad. He's not the, he's, he, he doesn't really understand the figure like his dad does. No, but his landscapes are luminous. And that actually reminds me of something that I've always thought was so interesting about Christina's world, which is his most well-known painting, which we should discuss. It was painted in 1948. And of course, I have lots of thoughts about the date and why that matters Mm -hmm. with regards to this particular work. But he apparently did not really think Christina's world was that good. And he thought that it would be much better if he had removed the figure. And so I actually kind of agree with that. And I think the landscape... Yeah, I do. I think the landscape is so evocative on its own. And it is so haunting and it it is so brimming with possibilities and these multifarious interpretations. And I think that the figure takes away from that only marginally. And I love this painting. I think it's always been something that I've really responded to. But after I heard that, I thought, yeah, I can sort of see where he he was coming from, that the landscape does the work on its own. And I think the figure is kind of superfluous. So my question is, can you talk? to us about Christina's world, talk about the history of that painting, because I know it's got a lot of rich history with the story of the lady and everything. Sure. Well, I think even taking a step back, we need to talk about the history of the world in general in 1948. So World War II just ended. This is when abstract expressionism is starting to come up. So figures like the ones that we've discussed, Pollock, de Kooning, Klein, Motherwell. And what's so fascinating about Wyeth to me is that it is such an opposite approach to painting. And studying the history of American art as I have, there's generally, there are two strains of visual aesthetics. 
in American art. There's one that's seen as a little bit more regressive or realist, and then there's one that's seen as a little bit more abstract and progressive. And an example of that would be in the 1800s when we have the realists like Homer and Aikens working alongside people like Mary Cassatt or Whistler. And so they're going to be a little bit more forward thinking. And so typically this is just a pattern in American art that we have something that feels more homegrown and then something that feels like it's looking somewhere else. And that's, to me, what I think is happening really beautifully between a painting by someone like Pollock and then Christina's World by Wyeth. Because if you look at this work, you would not necessarily think 1948. It looks like it harkens back to the regionalists of the 1930s, maybe even someone like Hopper, who is often loosely identified with the regionalists. And it seems like it's a little bit regressive. And I don't think that's a bad thing. He's just trying to connect to an America that's been lost after the war. Whereas someone like Pollock or de Kooning, they're trying to forge ahead and create something that's totally different and come up with something creative uh, from the ashes of destruction. But I think Wyeth is retreating to something that was pre-war and simpler. So the painting is literally about a woman named Christina. Her name was Anna Christina Olson. And it was a neighbor of Wyeth's. And supposedly, she suffered from Charcot-Marie tooth disease, which is a Polio. (laughs) Well, it's a genetic polyneuropathy, which is, uh, isn't it some kind of visual? I think it's just a form of polio. I thought it was a, a disease affecting peripheral nerves. Okay, so anyway, she used to... She used to crawl everywhere, and so he apparently saw her crawling in a field and had used her as a subject and her family as as a subject in his paintings, and he saw her crawling across a field that was inspired by that. Like, it it was just, that's, it's it's intense. It's it's very intense, because to me, when I first saw that painting, she's just sitting there. There's There's a feeling of helplessness, and she's looking up at the house from from being on the ground in the field. And there's something haunting about that. I don't know what it is. It just feels there's an emotional quality when we don't even see her face. We don't see her expression. But the way that her hair is blowing in the wind and her pose is just so intense. It feels so distraught. We feel the energy and the longing of her body and also the physical limitations that Mm -hmm. that body doesn't really award her. But Wyatt said that even though he did want to capture that that physical experience that she had, that he wanted to express the emotional freedom and that she wasn't encumbered by anything in a spiritual sense. And so I think that's why the limitlessness of the landscape is so important because it's true, she's far from the house. And so it seems like this endless field of journeying and labor and work. But on the other hand, that endlessness could be about possibility and it could be about hope and it could be about this breadth of experience that she has yet to to live. I love the fact that we're just analyzing the shit out of this. And meanwhile, like, it just shows you the difference between fine art. This is a good distinction between fine art and illustration. Look how much energy and time we put into this fine art painting that's hanging. Where's it hanging at the moment? The moment, yeah. And yeah, we're not course. even looking at it, P.S. No, we're, we're, not, we're, we're, not, <laughs> we're, we're not looking at the piece. But, <laughs> but because it hangs in a fine art context and because N.C. Wyeth, for the most part, does not, 
we have a whole story and art historians have written so much about it. How much are you going to write about N.C. Wyeth's, you know, Treasure Island or Robinson Crusoe? I could visually analyze a Hillary Knight illustration of Eloise with the same kind of fervor. So but I think it's don't. just about but choice. But not writing right. about it's that choice. out there. But it's not writing because, because one painting is hanging in a museum and another painting is ha- hanging in a private collection. We don't give it that love. And I feel like it's really important out there for, for our audience to understand that illustration, whether it's today or whether it's yesteryear, a long time ago in the Renaissance or before, really that they're illustrating ideas. Hieroglyphics, they're illustrating, right? Cave paintings in Lascaux, France are illustrating so the next generation could interpret the writing and understand what they need to do. Street art and graffiti, therefore, is illustrating. Exactly. They're illustrating. It's political. It's social. It's important to illustrate. So I don't want to get caught up in semantics, but I want everybody out there to not frown upon illustrators or illustration. Uh, Because too many people in the fine art world do, and a lot of you fine art people who are snootily listening to this going, (laughs) you know what, that's just not true. You're not defining it well. Because the thing about illustration is that, um, you see, see, that's that's bullshit. Because contextually, it's been proven that artists have always been illustrators. So the word should just really be synonymous with fine art. I mean, it should be synergistic, at least. Yes, you can do it on your own, and you can say that that's fine art, but at the end of the day, there's really no difference in greatness between great illustration. Look, there could be shitty illustration, but there could be shitty fine art, too. That doesn't mean because it's illustration, it is by default shitty. (laughs) Not at (laughs) all. And there can be really visionary illustrations. Just because Mm -hmm. something is a collaboration with somebody else doesn't mean that it's any lesser than if you were to just work from the own, your own recesses and crevices of your mind. Yeah, I mean, there's an artist by the name of Skip Lepke, Malcolm Lepke, who, when I was a kid, was just an illustrator. But now his work is, and he's very kind of like a contemporary day guy, you know, women ironing, people at a cafe, beautiful oil paintings, very rich, beautiful colors. And he, Lepke was able to make the transition from illustration to fine art. Now he's selling only at galleries. And that's fantastic. Other artists like Brad Holland, Marshall Arisman, Matt Mahern, uh, those are artists that I grew up on during the days at Art Center. And I, I watched their illustration. I love their illustration. But, you know, unfortunately, or f- maybe they have made the transition, but the reality is like Anita Kunz, those people always kind of stayed as illustrators. And I'm sure the people buy their art as fine art. But I feel like Ralph Steadman is the greatest example, like of somebody who his illustration of all, all the Hunter and S. Thompson, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas books and all of his other books, I feel like he's, even though he does stuff for the New York Times and the New Yorker and, and Rolling Stone magazine, feel like he's an art he's an artist he's creating paintings so let's not frown down about no let's just call everyone an artist yeah everyone's an artist <laughs> so to except go back photographers to- oh and, oh my God. and abstract <laughs> painters but she's you right to sneak that little sucker in there okay well Have that's that? off topic so i'm not going to address your oh. hideously ignorant comment <laughs> oh my god <laughs> ignorant is a, is is so blissful right now so <laughs> so to go but, back to christina's world yes. though 
What are your interpretations of that painting? You say that it's haunting, that it's kind of tragic. Why does that work stick with you? Well, first of all, when you see the actual work, what the number one thing that shocks me, what really shocked me because it feels larger than life, is how small the painting is. <laughs> you look at it and you're like, are you fucking kidding me? You're expecting to see like the Sistine Chapel or at least Monet's water lilies in terms of scale. But no, it's small. It's a little fucking diamond in the coal mine of the MoMA. And <laughs> it really shines. It shines. And MoMA is so, not a coal mine. No, it's not. <laughs> but, but it really does. It really shines. And I just get so inspired by all of the persnickety details. I mean, Wyatt is interesting because his work is highly rendered. You could see the blades of grass. And yet, even though you see the blades of grass and you can feel the atmosphere, it doesn't deter you from the emotional quality of the painting. You could feel the pain and the suffering and the loneliness in it. And I, that's what I feel. I just feel I, feel, I feel like it's lonely, that we're in this world, we're really coming to this world alone, we die alone. And Christina's world is this woman in this world, she's alone. And what's in, what's in the house up there? You know, what's it, what's, is it gonna, is it someone there? Is, is, is it going to save her from, from is it going to help her get up? Is, is someone going to come out or is just she, is it vacant? And that feeling, it's one of those paintings that just makes me feel like whew, heavy. It's a heaviness about it and a loneliness about it. And that's another reason why I'm always reminded of Hopper when I see Wyatt's work, because Hopper in the 30s and up to about 45, that's when his most trenchant, art was made, he really captures the loneliness of the country. And Right. And so that came out of Pearl Harbor and out of the Great Depression. And this painting coming out of World War II, it just seems like a more contemporary iteration of the same thing. And I do feel that that kind of terror and claustrophobia, which is interesting because we're in this expansive field, but I do feel a little bit confined when I look at that painting. And when I first saw the work and had no idea that Christina was was suffering from any kind of physical limitation, I felt like she, because you can't see her face, like mm. you mentioned. And so I didn't know. I thought that she was a little girl who was playing in the field. And it's interesting that our youth, we may translate things in such a different way. And then learning more about the work, then my interpretation of it shifted And I think that that is, it speaks really to the power of great art, something that can shift in meaning as you do and Mm -hmm. something that can change and something that can be seen from different angles, depending on who the person is or who they are at the time of their life when they're looking. And and I, and I think we've concentrated so much on Wyeth because Andrew Wyeth, the, uh, the son of NC is the famous one at the end of the day. NC is known amongst my peers, illustrators, people who, who have the inside track to the, the real classical illustrators of the day. But everybody knows Wyeth. He's pretty ubiquitous. When I was on the United States Stamp Committee, we did a Wyeth package. You know, we did the Wyeth stamp. And, we, and how many stamps have we done of Andrew Wyeth? A lot. How many of NC? I don't think we've done any, which is weird. How many of Jamie has Andrew's son? I don't think we've done any. But we definitely have done a lot of Andrew Wyeth because he is really Americana. You know, when you see Andrew Wyeth, you feel American. You could, I feel like it really represents and embodies what America is. 
the landscapes, the empty spaces, the vast cornfields, whatever. N.C. Wyeth didn't and wasn't able to capture that aspect of the world. He wasn't able to captivate the world in that way because his work wasn't as ubiquitous. And because of that, he knew his son had surpassed him. He knew that his son was great. In fact, he thought his son was so great, much like Picasso and his father, when Picasso's father saw Picasso uh, when he did that painting when he was about 15 years old, and he said, I, I'm never going to paint again. And that's how uh, NC felt about Andrew. He said, I'm going to paint, but I'm going to paint like my son. So he threw away the oils, and he took out the tempers, and he really tried to paint like his son. And it was a really devastating turn in the wrong direction because his work really never uh, expanded. In fact, in my personal opinion, he became just he became a very diluted facsimile of his son. And he was never as good as Andrew, and he never became grainer than he was in his youth. And so his entire last body of works was really trying to be a fine artist like his son, who had mm. so much success monetarily, spiritually, and in the fine art world. And I don't think, I feel like he, he really never really reached that level of success. Oh, that, that is really tragic. And I was so captivated by your use of the word Americana because that is exactly what Wyeth typifies. And I think the reason why this date is something that I keep on circling back to is because Americana is not what America is. Americana is what America was. Sure. And so I think that was his conscious choice, was to look backwards at an America that no longer exists. And the America that is contemporary and that is current really was the the more avant-garde visual works that we have talked about. And I'm not going to mention their names again because you'll just say something mean about them. But <laughs> <laughs> And that, that choice, I think, is a, a fascinating one to make. Just this longing. Not only is it Christina's longing, is it the viewer's longing, but it's also Wyatt's longing to recapture something that is temporary and that's gone. And Wyatt... Andrew had a son, Jamie, and we don't really need to talk about him because too much. But Jamie was a very good painter. I mean, he's clearly a very good uh, draftsman. He's a fantastic renderer. But there was something for me, I always have to preface it, for me, because this he's considered by many really, really great. And most people, but when you think about his work, he doesn't have the impact that Andrew had. There's something about his work that feels a little bit more dead than Andrew. There's something about the way that Andrew captured light that was fresh. The colors were fresh. With Jamie, it feels like he's trying to be like his dad. He's got the skill, but there's that emotional emptiness about his work. It feels a little bit more vacuous. As where Andrew has captured nature in a very real way, that it translate, uh, translates emotionally. Jamie, to me, didn't do that. So his work is not as deep, profound, and certainly he wasn't the first. Like, Andrew is a first of, of this style. Many people try to be Andrew Wyeth. If you go to galleries, you see people who are trying to be Andrew Wyeth all the time. 
painting in tempera, capturing the light. He was really the first to ever do that and to do it in that way. He had a certain style that was his own, much like his father N.C. Wyatt did. They were real pioneers in a technical way. In a technical way, they were pioneers. Jamie's not a pioneer. So we don't really need to talk too much about him. That's my opinion. Are you familiar with Jamie's work? Or? Not at all. Okay, well, there you go. <laughs> he's, a, he, he, he's, a, he's a really good artist, but we talk about the context of art history and how important these people are. And if you look at Andrew, he's very important. And if you look at NC, I think he's also very important. Um, and I think it's fair to mention also that when NC died... I think he was uh, embroiled in having an affair with his son, not Andrew, but Andrew's brother. And he was having an affair with Andrew's brother's wife. And I think that they had a kid together. And he was with his grandson, grandson or granddaughter. I'm not sure for sure. You guys can look this up. But he's crossing tracks, a railroad tracks. And bizarrely enough, he's crossed the tracks a million times. But a train, boom, hits him. Him and his grandchild both die instantaneously upon impact. Was it a suicide because of his guilt, because he was having an affair? Mm. Was it his kid? Do we know? It's very complex. It's a very complex, bizarre soap opera world, the Wyatt family, if you really read into it. And I've read a couple of books on their story. And didn't that happen right before Christina's world was painted? I don't know when it happened, but I do know. Another fact that's interesting, the proximity to Andrew Wyeth's secret studio where he did all the Helena portraits. Helena was his woman, his mistress he was having an affair with. But it was right next door to the studio that Wyeth was having all of Helena, his mistress, come to, that he was doing all those beautiful paintings of her. There's an irony there. Mm. There's a real, real crazy story and a lot of weird karma to that family. Yes, they have all the talent in the world. Yes, they had all the money in the world, the fame, the fortune. But they had a lot of bad luck. And, and also a lot of guilt, it seems, that came with some of the choices that, that they made and then the talent that they had. Well, they came from British ancestry, so maybe that <laughs> came from that. I don't know. Point is, forget about the personal stories. Go look at the art. Make the decision for yourself. Look at N.C. Wyeth. Look at Andrew Wyeth. Don't really look at Jamie Wyeth. Who cares? But look at those two and tell us what you think because I feel like these artists are important. In art and in history, they've really made a difference. 